What's up, gifted family? Welcome to another episode of the show that is the GP YouTube. Just a reminder that if you support what we do here, make sure to go over to giftedperformance.com and sign up for our automated coaching service. For only a dollar a day, you'll get access to 15 highly customized training programs, a macronutrient calculator, our meal planning feature that lets you build and save meals based on your macros, as well as access to our private Facebook group. All subscriptions help us in continuing to put out great content to get you to your fitness goals. Thanks for stopping by, and without any further delay, let's get into today's video. Enjoy. Alrighty, it was long awaited, but it's finally done and it's finally ready for your enjoyment. It is the bodyweight nutritional considerations across fitness-based sports, a long title. What does it actually mean? It means what do we need to do nutrition-wise to get our body weight, or more specifically for some of these competitions, our body fat in a specific point that's going to give us the best chance to win on a given date. So we're gonna start today's video by looking at bodybuilding and in the videos to come we're going to take a look at powerlifting olympic weightlifting and crossfit i will not make you sit through all of them at once so if you are someone who is specific to one of these sports just watch one of the videos but if you're interested in coaching all of these individuals from a nutrition aspect just kind of watch the series from start to finish but we'll start here with bodybuilding so first just taking a looking at men's bodybuilding divisions from left to right in our picture here on the far left we have men's physique Moving over, we have classic physique and then open bodybuilding and 212 bodybuilding. At the amateur level, that's at the professional level. So at the amateur level, bodybuilding is broken down even further into some specific weight classes. Bantamweight, lightweight, middleweight, light heavyweight, heavyweight, and super heavyweight. And you guys can kind of look at the specific weight cutoffs for those divisions. Just for clarification, if you are at a specific, let's say you weigh in at like 176.25, you would be a middleweight. So you would technically have just hit middleweight. So this is kind of where body weight is important in the bodybuilding kind of category because you need to be at those specific body weights on your weigh-in date. For clarity there, at a bodybuilding show, those are going to run on Saturdays. You weigh in. You have like a four-hour weigh-in window. It's like five to nine or four to eight the night before the show. So the Friday night before the show, you get weighed in. You get put in your division. The next day, you're ready to go. Classic physique is a little bit different in that not only is there a weight requirement, but there is a height requirement. So each specific height that you kind of fall into or height group that you fall into is going to have a specific weight that you can be. If you miss weight, it is too bad, so sad, love Brad. You can compete as a bodybuilder or it's just time to go home. So classic physique kind of has a very, very uh, stringent weigh-in process. And now I'm going to actually tab over to the NPC specific. So here we can kind of see the actual divisions in classic physique here. Um, if I can get this to scroll down, there we go. So division A, you can see kind of, this is how they break it down. So 5'4", you can be up to 160, 5'5", 
you know, you're up to 165. You can see that every each additional inch of height gives you another five pounds that you can weigh in. As we get into like class B, class C, you're gonna see the heights go up and the weight requirements or how heavy you're allowed to be goes up. So the weight restrictions are anywhere from 160 all the way up to 275. Now in men's physique, there are no weight cutoffs whatsoever. It is strictly depending on your height. So they're gonna measure you and then you're in your division based on that. So there's your weight requirement. Now let's look at something a little more specific to bodybuilding, and that is a body fat requirement. So again, these are just estimations by me, but from what I've seen and what I've looked at in terms of uh, photos and all the people that I've coached, these are some pretty accurate numbers here. So in bodybuilding, the leaner you are, the better. You can kind of see that bottom bullet point there if all else is held constant things like shape structure muscle insertions if you have two twins two genetic identical individuals the leaner individual will win that show so we're looking for body fats in that essential range for men three to five ish three or kind of all the way up to seven percent body fat will be competitive and that's gonna be depending on the actual individual the better structure you have the better shape you have the better muscular starting point you have the higher you can actually get away with in terms of body fat percentage the less gifted you are the more like me you are the closer that you need to be to that three or four percent body fat to make up for your lack of, of shape and structure now, when we get into something like classic physique, this was theoretically, it was designed to be a softer and smaller bodybuilding division, which is why they put those hard weight caps on it. And if you kind of look at back at what they're calling the kind of like classic era of bodybuilding, people like Arnold Schwarzenegger, Serge Dubret, people like that, um, the conditioning there wasn't like what it is in bodybuilding today. The upper body was lean, chiseled, but the legs were a little bit softer. There weren't the striated glutes, the extremely um, diced up hamstrings, things like that. So that was kind of the theory in classic physique. In practice, what we're seeing is that all the individuals who have this genetically elite structure, really wide clavicles, really narrow waist, well-developed arms, they're going into classic physique. They're pushing rock hard conditioning, almost in line with bodybuilding and that is what's winning classic physique shows especially at the national and the pro level so the body fat range here was supposed to be significantly higher it's almost identical in my opinion somewhere around four to eight percent body fat is going to be most common just like in bodybuilding the better shape the better structure the more classic look you have the higher you can get away with in terms of body fat percentage but outside of that you really still want to push your conditioning to that elite level in men's physique, the competitive body fat range is going to be even wider. You see some guys like Ryan Terry at the Olympia level who's absolutely shredded to the bone, probably somewhere close to 4 to 5% body fat. But then you see some national level competitors and some, some local show guys that win with close to 8 or 10% body fat. They've just got this really, really amazing structure, wide back, huge delts, huge arms, etc. And one other thing that you want to consider when looking at men's physique competitors and their body fat percentage is that... Individuals that gravitate towards this division tend to be naturally leaner and more developed in their upper body. So you'll see really, really lean upper bodies, shredded up backs, delts are popping out, but the legs just aren't quite there yet. But it doesn't even matter because the board shorts are covering that. So those individuals who stay leaner in the upper body gravitate towards and do well in men's physique. 
on the women's side of things, I like to draw some parallels so that people can kind of see what is the, the women's equivalent of the men's division. Physique, very comparable to, to, to bodybuilding in terms of the body fat percentage and, and that we need to push to. Uh, figure, very comparable to classic physique in that elite structures win the most shows combined with really good conditioning. Wellness, there's not really much of a comparison in terms of the men's division. Um, and then bikini would be most comparable in terms of the, the, the leanness that you need to bring over towards the men's physique side. The body fats obviously aren't gonna be the same because they're different from, from men and women, but those are the parallels that I draw. So if you kind of look down the list you'll, here, you'll see that regardless of the division, there are no weight requirements for women in bodybuilding. All the divisions are split up by height. So now getting into some, some body fat requirements for women. Physique, like I said, it's very comparable to men's bodybuilding. So we do wanna push the limits of essential body fat for women. Essential body fat for women being somewhere, some numbers you'll see eight, sometimes you'll see 10. Anywhere from like eight to 11, nine to 11% is going to be essential for women. So you add plus or minus one to two there and you get nine to 12%. So nine to 12%, especially at the national and pro level for women's physique, you will see a lot of vascularity. You will see strided glutes, separated hamstrings, things like that in the women's physique division. So this is where conditioning is rewarded. If you optimize condition and you come in in phenomenal shape, you give yourself a chance to win almost any show. Figure, like I said, comparable to classic physique. It's supposed to be softer, more of a structure dominated division. So again, wide clavicles, narrow waist, a well-developed quad sweep, capped deltoids, things like that. Um, but again, very similar to classic physique, at the national and pro level, you'll see some figure girls or figure women come in with comparable conditioning to that of physique. Their structure is just a little bit different. So it's supposed to be softer and most of the time it is, but don't be super shocked if you see some women in the figure division that are at the top of their game, very close to that 9, 10, 11-ish percent body fat, up to 15% if you've really got someone who has an elite structure they can win. In wellness, it's harder to say. So a lot of what I've put together here for the wellness division is just pulling from the NPC's website and what they said they're looking for and kind of my interpretation of that with the COVID-19 pandemic kind of cutting short the first wellness season. Don't have a lot of data as of the recording of this, um, of this video. So I'm guesstimating that it's somewhere above figure, 11 to 16% should be competitive. Uh, biggest difference between wellness and bikini or wellness and figure is going to be the structure. Wellness, they wanna see that, the website I believe says well-developed, but what they meant was massively developed, lower body, very well-developed quads, large glutes, etc., with a lean but not shredded upper body. So they don't wanna see the vascularity in the arms, they don't wanna see any like Christmas tree development in the erectors of the back, things like that that you, that you might see in the figure division. So 11 to 16, 11, someone's going to be very, very lean. Maybe if they need to rely more on their conditioning. 16 is probably on the higher end, but if you've got someone who just really has that wellness build, they could do well without having to push their conditioning super far, depending on the show, depending on the lineup. Now with bikini, that's your least conditioned division um, on the women's side of things. And I think that that's going to be even more the case now with wellness kind of serving as the more muscular and leaner equivalent of bikini. So I think 
I suspect that judges are going to go towards a softer look in bikini, somewhere in the 12 to 16% range, but I am reserving the right to be completely wrong on that because at the national level last year, the year before, and kind of as the years have progressed, you've seen some bikini girls that are absolutely shredded out of their mind, completely just dialed in and they've done extremely well. So now that we've kind of got into what do you need to weigh and what does your body fat need to be to be competitive in bodybuilding, it's important to talk about contest prep strategies. And the first strategy that any coach or any athlete should use is by starting with a needs analysis. Needs analysis being what are the needs of the specific individual? So number one, you wanna look at intake photos. What's the current body fat of the individual? This is important because you don't want someone to be overly lean or overly dieted going into a contest prep, but on the reverse side of that, you also don't want someone to be overly fat. So for example, a man or a male who wants to start a contest prep at maybe like 30 to 35% body fat would be much better served to take a mini cut, a maintenance phase, and then start prep. So kind of get the body fat into a good position, striking distance of stage, kind of maintain that, chill out, let some of those dietary side effects go away, and then actually get into contest prep. The too lean individual might be going into prep with hunger, food focus, poor training quality, et cetera, and it's a better idea to actually build their calories up, maybe put on some body fat before starting a full contest prep. So start by looking at what is the individual's body fat as we stand today. Number two is where are we headed? So we just covered where are we now? Number two is gonna be where are we headed? What body fat do I need to get to in that desired division? We just outlined what are the specific body fats that the individuals need to get to. So let's say you've got someone who's a bodybuilder. We know that they need to get to somewhere around four to 5% body fat to be competitive. If they start at 20% body fat, we know we have 15 to 16% to lose. And we'll get into kind of some of what the math on that looks like. You also want to look at the muscularity of the individual. It's very true that anyone can get extremely shredded. You can diet anyone down, but what they look like at the end of that diet process is just important as getting there, getting them there in the first place. If you're going to diet someone down, they're not going to have any muscle or they don't have any muscle to begin with. It's a better idea to just, you know, take a building phase, actually build some muscle so that when you get to stage lean, you have something impressive to present. Uh, kind of a, a cab or a, a, a segue off of that would be the current body structure compared to desired division. So here I've included a picture of myself. You can see that I, despite my desire to go into classic physique, maybe I've got huge classic physique aspirations. I don't have big arms. I have a SpongeBob waist, and my clavicles really aren't that wide to begin with. So I'm not going to be very competitive in classic physique, I need to stick to bodybuilding because I'll have a lot more success. And you can kind of look at pictures of individuals when they start the contest prep process and say, all right, this is a division where you'll probably have the most luck as we proceed through and as we strip body fat off. Up next, you wanna look at the proximity of the show. How far out are we from the show? That's gonna dictate one, whether you can even make it in time. Someone comes to you at 30% body fat and they say, hey, I wanna compete in 12%. That's or in 12 weeks, that's impossible. It's also going to dictate how fast you need to go. How much weight do you need to be losing from week to week to get to that agreed upon body fat percentage or body weight on the specific day of competition. 
last, you want to look at what they're currently doing. So what does their current training look like? What does their current nutrition look like? And how physically active are they? Are they doing a ton of cardio? Are they extremely physically active and they're not losing body fat right now? Not a good time to start a contest prep. Maybe they're, you know, taking it easy in training. They're eating good. They're not super physically active, but they're maintaining weight. That's, that's someone that you know that, all right, we can make some quick changes and we can start losing body fat very, very quickly. All right, so we've agreed upon a contest date. We know where we are now. We know where we need to go to. Now we need to figure out what we're gonna do in the middle. So you always start with the end in mind. We do what's called reverse engineering a contest prep, and we start with math. Hooray, who doesn't love math? So what I've actually done, and I'll tab over it to it here, boom, is I've created <clears throat> kind of like a fictional individual here um, who just came to me for a contest prep. So we've got Billy Gerthington, and Billy's goal is NPC bodybuilding glory. So he doesn't have a specific division that he wants to end up in, but he knows that he wants to do bodybuilding. So, okay, let's just do some, some intake on him. I say, where are we right now? So Billy says, I want to do a show in 20 weeks. So we're 20 weeks out. He weighs 220. His body fat is 15% do some quick math there we find out that his fat mass is 33 pounds so he's got 33 pounds of fat on him somewhere around 197 pounds of fat free mass <clears throat> excuse me billy works in manual labor he's a i don't know he's a construction worker or something maybe he lays pipe um every day so his average daily steps are 14,000. so we can kind of do just a very simple rudimentary total daily energy expenditure calculation 100, his body weight in kilos, times 24 hours in the day, um, times 1.6. So that's that high activity multiplier. Again, this isn't exact, but it gives us a rough starting point. So we find out that <clears throat> Billy's total daily energy expenditure as it stands today is 3840, 3,840 calories per day. Billy wants to be a bodybuilder, so we know that his body fat needs to be somewhere around 4 to 5%. First show, we'll say 5%. That'll be good enough for him. Meaning that if we assume that he only loses a little bit of fat-free mass, fat I assumed a 1% fat-free mass loss. Again, for a natural athlete, you'll probably lose a lot more than that. I assumed that his ending fat-free mass was 195, meaning that his stage weight is going to be about 205. So what we need to lose is around 15 pounds. We've got 20 weeks to do that, meaning that his average weekly loss needs to be 0.75 pounds per week. So assuming that 3,500 calories is one pound, we multiply 0 0.75 times 3,500, and we get an agreed-upon deficit for Billy to achieve weekly. Now, as a coach, it's important to, you know, allow for some good weeks and some bad weeks. So we might exceed 0.75 some weeks, we might fall a little bit short of that some other weeks. So kind of going back to our PowerPoint slides here, now that we've got, we've started with the math, we've created our adequate deficit, how do we assess progress over the course of prep? The two most important things that we're gonna use are going to be photos and weigh-ins. And those are interchangeable as the prep goes along. Early on, rely on weigh-ins. Weight should be going down as you go along unless you're introducing some PEDs or anything like that. We won't assume that that's the case here, so weight should be going down. Photos probably won't be changing a lot over the course of the early days of prep. As we get closer to show, we rely more on photos, less on weigh-ins. The end stages of prep are stressful, high stress, high cortisol, high water retention. You will see big fluctuations in weight. More important to rely on the photos at that point. They will tell the true story. 
some other things that you can use. You can use body fat measurements, things like an in-body if you're kind of if you're holding things constant, like hydration status, food intake, uh, training for the day, things like that. <clears throat> or maybe skin folds if you've got someone who's who's skilled at taking skin folds. But I wouldn't put too much stock into body fat measurements. Um, unless you're, you're really controlling a lot of stuff. And then training metrics as well. You wanna make sure that you're maintaining training quality to the best of your ability. If I had to throw just a guesstimation or a number on it, you should be maintaining somewhere around 90% of your strength over the course of a contest prep. So you should still be able to add reps, add weight, small amounts of weight from week to week in your training program. Now, when we look at the macronutrients associated with this, we want to set some starting numbers. So if we took Billy and we figured out that his, and I'm just guessing here because I didn't do the math, shame on me. Um, we assumed that his starting calorie intake was 3,000 calories. We would give him somewhere between 1.2 to 1.5 grams per pound of lean body mass, depending on how much protein he likes in his diet. And then we would take 25, 20 to 30, something like 25 is a good starting point, 25% of his calories at that starting point from fat, and then use the rest for carbohydrates and set his fiber at 10 to 14 grams of fiber per 1,000 calories. If you want to see how to set macros for a fat loss phase, we've got the basics of fat loss video on our YouTube page, so go watch that video. Now, the magnitude of manipulations are going to depend on the average weekly weigh-ins. If we if we set a goal of 0.75 pounds per week lost and we are below that, significantly below that, let's say we're only losing 0.2 pounds per week, we need to make a large manipulation. The magnitude would be much greater. But if we're 0 0.7, 0 0.65, we're close to that agreed upon weight, we either don't need to make any manipulations whatsoever, kind of just ride it out and see how long we can milk out those numbers, or we want to make really small manipulations. If you guys want some numbers to throw on there, a small manipulation would be somewhere around two to 3% change in deficit. So again, that can come from physical activity or food. So you can cut their food by two to 3% or add that in physical activity or a combination of the two. A large manipulation would be somewhere between seven to 10% change in that total daily energy expenditure or energy intake, or again, a combination of the two. Remember, when you are making cuts, whether it be to food or additions to physical activity, include client preference. Have a conversation with your client. Hey, if I had to, or if you had to choose, less food, more activity. Well, you know, I really um, feel like I would enjoy, you know, taking an extra walk with my wife every night after dinner. Cool. Extra 1,500 steps, boom, we've increased energy expenditure like that. Or if the individual says, you know, all this physical activity, I'm really crushed into the ground, you know, work really beats me up, but I still feel like I'm eating a lot, I'm pretty, I'm pretty full throughout the day, then we know we can cut from food. Some overlooked details, um, supplements, make sure that you're checking your supplement box, the basics, again, we have a supplement video on um, on the page so go watch that basics like creatine fish oil multivitamin whey protein casein protein if you're struggling to get your protein intake in <clears throat> things like vitamin d if you're not spending enough time out in the sun cover your bases on your basic supplements nutrient timing will matter more and more over the course of the contest prep organizing the majority of your food around your training if you find someone isn't very hungry early on in the day allowing them to fast until maybe it's 11 maybe it's noon just getting by on coffee stimulants in the morning so that they get a smaller window of increased food to help deal with hunger that can also be a good idea make sure the individual is getting enough protein to facilitate recovery enough overall calories to facilitate recovery and adjust training if that's not the case 
and then make sure that the quality of life is maintaining. Are they getting enough sleep? How's their psychology? How are you handling things like hunger? A lot of those are just going to be specific conversations that we have with your clients and kind of how do you optimize things to make sure that they're feeling good or as, as good as they can. All right. <clears throat> Everyone's favorite, peaking strategies. So what peaking strategy are you going to use? Remember that peaking makes a very small difference in your physique. If you weren't ready before peak week, you probably won't be ready after peak week. If you were extremely ready, shredded to the bone, before peak week, we're gonna throw some food at you and you're going to look even better. So people wanna know how to manipulate macros, micros, water, and supplements during peak week. And it's gonna depend on the peaking or the loading strategy that you use. So the safest, probably <clears throat> the safest of the kind of like peak week approaches would be your front load. Front load being anywhere from like six to eight days out, you include a bolus of, of, of carbohydrates. So you set someone's calories and anywhere between like 105, 110-ish percent of maintenance, even up to like 115 or 120% if you really want to aggress get aggressive with the front load. Monitor their look via pictures daily. Make sure those extra calories are coming from carbohydrate because that's what we're trying to do here. We're trying to carbohydrate load. Watch the weight. We should see somewhere between a 1% to a 5% increase in body weight once the load is complete. I say the front load is the safest because you can monitor the look over the course of the week and make adjustments as you go. Now, a riskier or a ballsier approach would be the back load, or ballsiest of all, is the rapid back load. So a back load meaning the back end of peak week, you're going to introduce a bunch of carbohydrate. So traditional back loads are two or three days out, you start in increasing the carbohydrate intake again, probably somewhere around 110%, maybe a little bit higher of maintenance calories with those extra calories coming from carbohydrate. And then the, the the cliff wilson the famous cliff wilson approach uh, of the rapid backload where the day before the show you introduce a ton of carbohydrate a ton of water a ton of sodium to really really fill out the physique so this picture right here is a rapid backload transformation this is 24 hours on the left i weighed in at 221 on the right i weighed in at 228 in between the two photos was about 950 grams of carbohydrates, three gallons of water, and eight grams of sodium. So we really went with, or I really went with a, a rapid loading approach there. And you can kind of see the magnitude of difference of the physique. Sure, a tan makes a difference. Sure, stage lighting makes a difference. But it's really, really obvious to see how much or how filled out I was in that second photo. But I say that this is a riskier approach because once the food is in, it's in. Once you're loaded, if you start to see a look that you're not really a big fan of, it's there. There's not a lot you can do to fix it. Yes, you can introduce things like caffeine. Yes, you can you know pump up, go train to kind of burn off some extra glycogen. But if you've really kind of screwed the pooch, you just kind of have to lay in the bed that you've made at that point. Now, with the reverse dieting approach, this is um, a big, uh, I'm trying to remember, I think it was Dr. Joe. Yeah, Dr. Joe Klemzuski, who uh, is a big fan of this one. And that's basically that you get someone ready anywhere from two up to four weeks. So they're at their competitive body fat two to four weeks out from the show. And then you slowly titrate calories back up anywhere from like three to 5% per week, monitoring the look from week to week, monitoring body fat, the idea that you're dropping stress and slowly filling out and then making small manipulations to create a look that you're happy with, seeing what those numbers were that created that look that you're happy with, and then just holding it from there. 
very, very safe approach, but it does demand that you are ready extremely early for the show. So you really have to set an aggressive dieting pace from the start or start very lean. Dieting through the show is something that I had to use in my most recent show. I'm not 100% sure what exactly happened, but the idea of dieting through the show is that some people, they when they take photos, they look really good 7, 10, 14 days out from the show, and then they try and peak, and they just end up spilling over and looking extremely watery. So what you do is you just find those dietary conditions that made you look your best, dry, hard, full, etc., and then mimic those through peak week. So what I did was I set my calories at around 90 to 95% maintenance, dropped out cardio, brought down training stress, and I was able to kind of create that dieted, but still full, hard, not retaining a lot of water. Look, works for some, doesn't work for others. Some individuals, they try this and they just end up looking extremely flat on stage. So the macros, micros, water, and supplement manipulations that you want to make, we just talked about the macros. A lot of it is centered around carbohydrate, you know, just ingesting extra carbohydrate, maybe moving fats and proteins around to make some room for more carbohydrate. With the micros, you really want to start looking at things at electrolytes, sodium, potassium, about two weeks out from the show, find... Um, Find a, a sodium to potassium ratio and some numbers that you think make you or, or that you and your coach have agreed upon make you look your best. And then kind of just holding those numbers through peak week to, to maintain that look. Not doing anything crazy in terms of sodium loading or pulling out sodium. Just finding where your body looks its best and then holding those specific numbers. Um, now, if you are going with a front or a back loading approach, sodium does act as a co-transporter for bringing water and glycogen into the muscle. So when carbohydrates and water are high, you want to increase your sodium. So in your front load, that would be <clears throat> the front end of the week. Back load, that's going to be at the back end of the week. So manipulate your sodium accordingly. That kind of also handles the water question. Where there's a lot of carbohydrates, you want a lot of water. So front load early on in the week. You're eating a lot of carbohydrates, increase your water, and then bring it back to normal, and the opposite for the back load. Normal water intake all week, you're back loading with a lot of carbohydrates at the end of the week, bring water up accordingly. With the reverse diet and dieting through the show, you don't need to make any manipulations to water, just keep normal water intake all the way through. Supplements, there are some supplements specifically with osmolytic properties, things like creatine, things like betaine that actually draw water into the muscle, but I only suggest including those if they're already in your diet to begin with or you're already supplementing with them. I wouldn't just throw creatine and betaine at the body during peak week, just kind of guesstimate dosages that the body handles best and then hope that it works out. Those are things that you should trial during a trial peak week if possible, or just leave out if you're not sure of what the result's gonna be. Who doesn't love peak week? All right, moving into off season. The needs analysis, very, very similar to kind of that in season period where you're looking at body fat, muscularity, when's the next show actually going to be, what are they doing right now, and what are their long-term competitive aspirations. The biggest thing that you want to do in the off-season period is take some feedback from the judges or from that last competitive season, see the areas that you need to improve in, and spend a significant amount of time training with a high, higher percentage of volume directed at those areas. So I used Anthony as a Anthony as an example here in his first competitive season the judges told him that his back and his arms needed to get bigger so you can see that we spent a over a year in a surplus 
training heavily focused on the back and the arms and the transformation that we were able to achieve here. When we look at proximity of the next show, that's going to dictate how high we actually allow body fat to get in the off-season. If we're taking a two-year off-season, we're not super worried about body fat getting high unless it starts to get into like the upper ranges where we start to see negative health markers. So for men, probably shouldn't go above that 25% off-season or 25% body fat in the off-season. And for women, anything above 30%, <clears throat> there becomes a trade-off of like losing some or diminishing certain health markers that we're worried about. Now, if the next show is soon, we really want to be able to control how fat we get in the offseason. We don't want to get to a point where body fat is so high that with our given time frame, we're unable to bring that back down. Another factor there would be the natural versus the enhanced or the PED using group. For naturals, you know, take a longer offseason, allow your body fat to get a little bit higher in the offseason. Enhanced, they can get away with more of a truncated offseason where they actually keep their body fat on the lower end. And then long-term competitive aspirations are going to be extremely important. Is this someone who wants to get a pro card, compete at the pro level? Then we know we need to take these longer off-seasons, longer improvement phases to really bring up weak areas and spend a significant amount of our career in a surplus actually building muscle. And that kind of gets into our short and long-term planning here. Now, if you are going for an extremely long off-season, you know that you can set a relatively conservative rate of gain from week to week, month to month, or per year. And what you want to do is, you know, same thing as we did with our rate of loss for Billy McGurthington or whatever his name was. Um, we want to see how much do we need to gain over the entire offseason, how many weeks is the offseason, and set a weekly goal in terms of how much we want to gain. For Daniel here in this picture, we wanted to gain somewhere around 10 to 15 pounds in a four-month offseason before his next competitive season. We wanted to focus on increasing the size of his back, his delts, his arms, and also his legs. We knew we had a short offseason. We had to push the rate of gain relatively quickly. We were good gaining somewhere around 0.5 to 0.75 pounds per week. <clears throat> and that's exactly what we did. And these are the changes here. Very lucky that Daniel is naturally lean. So this is just an absolutely bonkers transformation right here. But what about individuals with a significantly longer off season? Do we want to mass straight through or do we want to use mini cuts? And that really depends on the individual. I'm not a huge fan of the mini cuts, but there are individuals out there who get extremely uncomfortable if they get their body fat above a certain point. So they do want to mini cut throughout the off season just to keep body fat under control. I am more in favor of massing straight through, hitting agreed upon kind of check marks along the way of we're going to gain at we'll say 0.25 pounds per week, and we kind of check that off. Now, when it comes to macronutrient programming, it's very similar to kind of the in-season period where we need to set an agreed-upon surplus so that we reach a given weight on a specific day. So we set the starting numbers, establish our surplus, set those starting macros, and make manipulations according to kind of those weekly check marks. If we said we're going to lose or if we said we were going to gain 0.5 pounds per week and we only gain 0.2 pounds this week, we know that we need to make a pretty large increase to food for that week. But if we are gaining faster than that, you don't want to add more food. You kind of just want to let that sit there and then let the body weight regulate the point where we're gaining at that 0.5 pounds per week. Don't make a ton of changes here and don't make huge changes. There's no need to add hundreds of calories week after week and get extremely fat as fast as possible. Um, some other small things, priorities. 
So how are you going to split up carbs and fat? Kind of let the client determine that, especially in the off-season. Bodybuilding, not a super glycogen-dependent sport. So if someone does like ingesting a higher-fat diet in the off-season, that's going to be completely fine. That's going to factor in psychology. They're going to eat meals that they enjoy, um, eat a macronutrient split that they enjoy. They're not just you know pounding pounds and pounds of, of brown rice and miserable with it. So make sure that you sit down with the client and factor in client preference. All right, so how do we assess progress in the off-season? Using things like weigh-ins. If your weight's not going up, I promise you you're not gaining muscle. This is especially true for my more advanced individuals. You're not recomping in the off-season. Oh, I'm gaining muscle and losing body fat. No, you're not. Let's see that scale go up so we know that we're actually gaining muscle. Another way to for sure know that we are gaining muscle in the off-season is to track training metrics. Let's say uh, eight weeks ago I squatted 200 for a set of five and this week i squatted 220 for a set of eight in that scenario i can tell you that your legs have gotten bigger you've gotten stronger in that kind of like five or six to thirty rep range so we know that you have actually added some contractile tissue to the muscle groups that we wanted to add it to good job we made it up next is going to be photos as you get deeper into the off season as body fat gets higher it's kind of hard to see um, what the extra body weight has done to your physique. So kind of hard to measure that. But if training and weigh-ins are improving, then we're all good. And then body fat measurements as well. Not a lot of people are doing skin folds in bodies in the off-season. And because carbohydrate intake is and water retention is so up and down, using things like an in-body can be a little bit deceiving. Some overlooked details in the off-season. Um, supplements, so specifically things like carbohydrate powders, weight gaining proteins. If you've got someone who just simply struggles to get in their calories for the day, you can start to use things like that. Full sugar Gatorades or, or sports drinks during a workout just to get some extra calories in. And then when the carbohydrates get so high that it's just almost impossible to get them up anymore, be smart with kind of the macros that you're adding. Maybe some, some lower satiety, um, higher energy-dense foods, specifically fats, things like peanut butter, adding oils to, 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 to foods and whatnot, just to get some easy calories in there. Kind of touched on nutrient timing there. Use that intra-workout window um, so that you're not missing out on a one and a half to two hour window where you can be getting some extra calories in. Keep an eye on recovery. Shouldn't be much of an issue in the off season. If it is, um, modify the training program accordingly it's probably not an issue of food especially if food is quite high so it more than likely has to do with life stress or the training program so keep an eye on those and then just monitor quality of life make sure things like sleep are on point just make sure that you're checking all of those boxes so that we know that we're progressing from week to week month to month and, and year to year of course all right, pulling the trigger on another contest prep. The big question, am I ready to, you know, jump back into another contest prep here? And this comes back to the needs analysis from the in-season, but it's a little bit different now. Am I lean enough to start a contest prep? Kind of talked about that already. Am I muscular enough? Did I, did I actually make progress from the previous in-season period? It's a hard thing for people to track, but let me clear up the confusion here. Is your scale weight higher? I started my last prep at 205, started this prep at 220, probably gained some muscle along the way. Can't be sure, but let's get into some of, the other, some of these other ones where we can make sure. Body fat at current weight. I started my last prep at 205, 15% body fat, starting this one at 220, 15% body fat. In that scenario, we know that we've added muscle. 
You can also look at performance metrics. Um, I went into last season with a really small chest that was benching 185 for 12 at the beginning of, of last year's prep. This year, I'm, I'm benching 275 for 12. You know that you've, the, based on those performance metrics, you've progressed in the specific muscle groups that you wanted to improve in. You also want to look at things like the psychology of it. So dietary fatigue, you know, do I have terrible hunger? Am I super food focused? Do I have bad cravings or binging episodes? If yes to any of those, let's hold off on prep. Let's, you know, push that back, stay in a surplus, deal with some of that. And when that's under control, then we move into a contest prep period. Also training fatigue. So what's the quality of training? Am I able to, you know, add reps? Maybe add sets, but more importantly, add reps and, and weights from week to week. Am I nursing any injuries? Am I enjoying my training? Um, all very, very important things to track as you start another contest prep. So there we have it. Um, all of the nutritional and body weight considerations going into bodybuilding. As we transition into kind of the other sports, powerlifting, Olympic weightlifting, CrossFit, we'll focus a lot less on body fat. We'll focus a lot more on performance. But those are conversations for videos to follow. So if you did enjoy this video, make sure you stick around. Make sure you maybe you can click another video. Um, that's the next part of this series. But if you're just watching it hot off the press, welcome. Uh, thanks for watching. Um, as always, like, comment, subscribe. Hit us up on Instagram at Gifted Performance. Sign up on giftedperformance.com. Two week free trial. Get yourself access to 15 training programs, macronutrient programming, as well as our meal planning feature. $30 a month, $1 a day after your 14 day free trial. You can look me up on Instagram, DM me any questions you might have at the underscore squat father. That's it for today. Come back for the next one. And as always, stay gifted. <laughs>